0: Get ready to step into Scripture with Tina.
1: Hey, everyone. Welcome to Step Into Scripture. My name is Tina. I'm a pastor's wife and a mom of seven. Alongside my husband, Matt, I've committed my life to serving King Jesus as a church planter, a Bible teacher, an author, and an advocate for all-in family ministry. This podcast is dedicated to helping people develop biblical literacy by reading the Bible through God-centered lens, specifically looking for the character of God, the centrality of Christ, and connections across books and testaments. Mm -hmm. And here in season two, we are taking questions from listeners and viewers and doing our very best to answer those using just the Bible. Right. So in this season, the Bible questions we're getting are coming from people who are connecting with us on social media, people who are emailing us, but this one today is specifically from someone who is part of a Bible study Mm -hmm. that we're offering here at our home church, Ecclesia Christian Church in Conway, South Carolina. This is a question that is related to a Bible study we're doing right now using the book Step Into Scripture as a guide to take us chronologically through the Bible. We just finished reading the book of Job, Mm -hmm. and so someone participating in that Bible study asked a question that we've all probably wondered when we've read the book of Job, and it's this, is it okay to question God about the trials that are coming my way? Mm -hmm. Because Job faced a lot of trials, and so he definitely causes us to question, as we read this whole account, whether or not we can bring this grief, bring this anxiety, bring our trauma to Mm -hmm. God and direct it to Him. And Job, you know, he's plagued, with worse trials than probably any of us will ever experience. Right. Just to recap, his 500 yoke of oxen, his 500 donkeys, and his 3,000 camels are stolen. So essentially, he loses everything, Yeah. all of his wealth. His many servants and 7,000 sheep are killed. His 10 children are crushed to death. Mm. That's probably the worst one that we read. And even his wife turns against him. And all of this calamity is brought on him because of an accusation by Satan that Job didn't blamelessly walk before God because he actually loved God or was committed to God, but just because God blessed him. Obviously, Job was very wealthy. And so Satan says, you know what? Take that wealth away from him Mm -hmm. and he won't be faithful to you any longer. Now, Satan had to accuse Job in that way because he couldn't accuse Job's character. God said in the opening section of the book of Job that Job was a righteous man, right. and so when Satan couldn't accuse him of being a sinner, accuse him of working against God, he just accused him of not loving God and following God with the right intentions. Mm-hmm. So deceit in his righteousness, that's essentially the accusation being brought against Job by Satan. And so God puts Job's loyalty to the test, Mm -hmm. and he experiences all this calamity. So that's just the context for how this week's question was presented. Is it okay to question God on the trials that are coming my way? And now, Stacey, if you don't mind, go ahead and open us up and introduce yourself and bring us into this Bible study in the book of Job. Yeah, I'm happy to. Uh, I
0: love this topic. I love this question. I'm so glad that we get to answer it here um, in this podcast, Step Into Scripture. And just like we say every week, uh, my name is Stacy. I am thrilled to be a part of this. Reading the Bible from start to finish has been um, a highlight of my life. Many seasons of my life have been marked out by a journey from start to finish in God's word. Alongside my husband, we are small business owners here in our community. We are honored to be a founding member here at Ecclesia, We've been with this since the start, and so it's just been um, a pleasure to step through Scripture with Tina over the years and then to now be doing it with all of you guys and with this resource is really um, an honor and a blessing in my life. So along that journey, right, along your journey, we will all, we have or we are going to enter into seasons of suffering. And so whether you are in a season of suffering right now um, or you are bracing yourself for the next one um, this is a this is okay to ask this is okay to study and scripture gives us plenty of information on how to answer this question is it okay for me to question God about the troubles that come my way I love it so um so Tina has laid the groundwork of where we're going to begin uh, to answer this question we're going to start with the life of job and it's a great way uh, to uh, introduce this because we all know, and we've talked about many times on the podcast, the life of Job, the accusations of Satan, and and how that sort of plays out. But what we're going to walk through in the beginning of it is Job and what he did in response and how he handled the suffering that came his way. Suffering that he didn't ask for, he was a righteous man, just like you laid out, and suffering that many of us may never experience. And so um, after the opening drama that we see presented in the first few chapters of Job, we see that his uh, his so-called friends, his associates, come through, and we get to kind of be in a fly on the wall to some of their conversations. Yeah. We see these different speeches and dialogue that goes out through—it goes on for 25 chapters— so here's just a snapshot of what we see. We see that Eliphaz insists that Job's trouble that has struck him, the loss of all of his wealth, yeah. losing all 10 children at one time, his physical health declines. We see him accuse Job, saying that, well, this is a result of sin in your life. Right. You must have sinned against God. We see his friend Bildad come in and defend Eliphaz and that position, which just kind of compounded that yeah. insult against Job, who is suffering through loss, yeah. absolute devastation, and now his friends are saying, well, something you've done, what is it? What is it? What is it? And then we, we see that they both assert that Job, he must repent, and that whatever he has done has caused this calamity against him, but still Job maintained his innocence and he understood repentance, but God, he just supposed, must have not realized, right? Have you ever thought that? God, yeah. I'm going through this. You must just not realize all that I'm doing, God. Um, that was certainly the position that Job, he, he didn't misunderstand repentance. I think he would have just gladly welcomed it to relieve himself yeah. of the suffering, but instead he must have he, he just said, you know what? God must not He must not realize that I am innocent, and how could he appeal to a God who is so immense that he runs the whole universe? He is the maker of all creation, and so we'll just quote really quick from Job chapter 9. Here is what Job says about God, just a snapshot. The whole chapter lays out the... uh, in the the massive opinion that Job has and recognizes as truth about God. Yeah. So here's just a few things that things that he says about God. Job chapter nine, beginning in verse four, it says, "For God is so wise and so mighty; who has ever challenged him successfully?" So Job is in this seat. Of I am the I am the lesser one, yeah. God is great, who can challenge him successfully right. I'm innocent. He must just not realize that I am innocent. It says without warning, he moves mountains, overturning them in his anger. He shakes the earth from its place, and its foundations tremble. If he commands it, the sun won't rise, and the stars won't shine. He alone has spread out the heavens and marches on the waves of the sea. So you see Job in just that short glimpse of what he has said about God, recognizes God is so much more than I could ever understand. So who am I to challenge him? So amid his expression of his insignificance before this holy and all-powerful God, we find, though— a seed that's been planted for the gospel that we all get to fall into today. In that same chapter, chapter 9 and verse 33, Job says, if only there were someone to mediate between us, someone to bring us together. Yeah. He's recognizing the us in that statement is a humanity and this holy, massive one who spreads out the heavens and marches on the sea. God, but what's very interesting about the book of Job is that through these dozens of dialogue chapters, Job says a lot about God, yeah, but he doesn't necessarily say anything to God, yeah, he recognizes God, and maybe in our prayer life you know, that's something we should evaluate. I love in my prayer time to recognize God. God, you are holy. You are good. You are kind. You are kind without boundary. Your love knows no limit, God. I'm saying a lot about him. Yeah. But, I also need to recognize I need to say a lot to Him. Yeah. I have things I need to repent of. I have things I need to ask for help yeah. on. And uh, and sometimes it, we can get caught up in just all the things that we say about God. One thing we wanted to uh, pull from chapter 23 in the book of Job, verses eight to nine. Here's what Job says about God as an example. But if I go to the east he is not there. If I go to the west, I do not find him. When he is at work in the north, I do not see him. When he turns to the south, I catch no glimpse of him. So <laughs> Job really feels like he is totally alone, yeah. feeling like no matter what I do, where I go, I just don't see God. He's saying a lot about him, but he's not talking to God, at least not until the very end, at which point he really has nothing to say except my bad. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, my bad. I'm sorry, God. Uh, I, I, I might have gone a little overboard there but we'll talk about that more at the end. So, after these three cycles of dialogue between Job and his friends, his friends Eliphaz, Bildad and Zophar, we see a new character enter in to the story that we haven't heard from before up until this point and his name is Elihu. Yeah. And uh such an interesting last piece to this because we're not really uh, there's not really a true consensus on how to interpret or understand um, Elihu's position on Job's circumstance. Um, And so Elihu kind of holds out to say what he's going to say. He lets all of the older gentlemen in the room hash through it. And then here he brings in um, his point. And so we saw Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar make wrong statements about God wrong assumptions and oversimplifying the way that God runs the world, they made some true statements, right? Sometimes when I have, or many times when I have read this, I I find myself a little convicted. It depends on which season I have been in, in my read-throughs. I might lean towards feeling like one of those friends, like, well, that's not wrong, but it's also not quite right, yeah, um, in the way that they were interpreting job's circumstance right. with what they could see with their eyes. But as we read their speeches, we have to critically think about everything that they say. You know, you may look at someone's position in life and say, well, that's because they're far from God, or there must be sin in the in the the you know, sin in the nest. And I have actually said those things in folly in the past when it's really, I have no way to comprehend or understand what God is doing yeah. because I do not sit on God's throne and I don't want to. Right. And so uh, like those three friends, um, when, we, when we read their speeches, we have to critically think about everything that they say. It may sound almost right, but if it is not If it is not in line with what God has to say about it, then all of it's wrong. And so when it comes to Elihu, it's not easy to say whether his assessment is solid or if it's faulty, but even still, here are three things um, from uh, your show notes that I think perfectly kind of summarize how we should look at this final speech. Job doesn't argue, number one, with Elihu in the same way that we see him kind of go back and forth in that dialogue with the other three friends, Um, although he is given the opportunity. Elihu gives him the opportunity for a rebuttal. Uh, Next, you know, in the end, when God does finally speak, He doesn't rebuke Elihu like he does the other three. And so then you go, okay, so he must have been right. yeah. But you're not quite sure. There's no real consensus there. And then lastly, Elihu presents a different picture about Job's suffering, the origin of it, than the other friends. The other friends really hone in on you must have done this. You're suffering because of sin. You must repent. You must have, uh, you know, blocked your heart from that. Elihu takes the position that it's not necessarily a consequence of wickedness, but that it could be a tool that God is using to draw us closer to God. Um, you know, and even through it, though, yeah. Job maintains his innocence. He goes as far as to say things like uh, Job twenty-seven verse two. He says, and this is a big bold statement: "As surely as God lives, who has denied me justice, the Almighty who has made my life bitter." Mm-hmm. That is a that's a very big statement. And when you when you read that, you can look at that and go, "That's a mistake," right?
1: That's a big mistake. And Job's pretty innocent until then, until that moment. He's he glorifying God. God is so big. Yes. I mean, he's wrong in thinking God is un- uh, very far from right. Him. Yeah, right. But but here it's like, ooh,
0: yeah. He went a little far with that's that one. Too far, yeah. But it also speaks to the amount of suffering. Yeah, and he recognizes, I couldn't have brought this. This is so much. I couldn't have brought this on yeah. myself. And so. I'm not advocating for what he said, (laughs) Um, but I do think that when we look at our life and the choices that we make, Will this be something that allows us to go? Okay, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna monitor me. I'm gonna say yes and be obedient. I'm gonna watch myself so that when suffering comes, not if, but when suffering yeah. comes, I can look at it as a tool that God is drawing me closer, not as a consequence for my own wickedness. And then I won't have to sit in the seat of Accusing God yeah. of
1: delaying His justice. Well, you and I were even having a conversation about this like last week, I think, and and I was sharing with you how when I've gone through a season of suffering, because we we all fall into Job's friends' mentality. Sure, we suffer and we go, "What did I do? What oh, did,
0: yeah, that's the very
1: first thing yeah, I did. What did I do to bring this mm-hmm. on me?" And like I was I was sharing with you, and I'll, I'll share with our listeners and viewers. As I've been in in a season like that and struggled through it and and at times just in tears yeah. said to my husband, like, I, I can't figure out what I've done wrong. Have I lost the favor of God mm. in my life? And and sometimes we can do wrong. We can sin mm-hmm. and invite suffering in our lives, but when we haven't, that's when it becomes difficult and we have to be careful not to accuse God. And I want to just tell you all something my husband shared with me that's really helped me process suffering that did not originate from obvious sin mm-hmm. in my life he asked me Tina who are you accountable to and and when he asked me that I sat with it and I said well you know husband yeah you yeah and god mm-hmm. and he said yeah that's right you are not in a seat where you have a lot of people that you have to answer to. Mm-hmm. And that's not necessarily a bad thing if yeah. I'm very diligent about self-management and I'm faithful to God. But he said, Tina, all people need accountability in their yeah. lives. All of us need to be answerable to someone. And and then he asked me this question about suffering. And, and in this specific conversation, it was suffering that was in the form of uh, people saying things that were untrue about me, people slandering me. And he said, what effect has the suffering you've endured had on your behavior? Mm -hmm. And I said, well, (laughs) it has caused me to be much more mindful of every word I speak, Mm -hmm. of every action I do. Mm -hmm. It's made me more accountable. Yeah. And he said, exactly. Right. 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 And that's that's what it can look like for God to use suffering, like Elihu says, mm-hmm. to draw us close to him, to be instructive, and even to keep us from sin. I mean, we've talked in this yeah. podcast about Satan from the time Christ won the victory over him. Mm-hmm. He is raging, yeah, raging against Christ church, raging against the offspring of the yes. remnant of Israel represented by that woman in Revelation chapter twelve. And and so he is he is ready to draw any one of us into sin. Mm-hmm. And God knows that even before we do. He sees the yeah. spiritual realm. He knows what sin is crouching at our door, just like he knew it about Cain yeah. before he murdered Abel. And if suffering can be instructive... Right. In that it pulls us away. Is a boundary. Yeah, puts the accountability that we need, even if it's an accountability that says, you know what? I know there are people who are looking for negative about me. I know there are people who want to ruin my name. And so I'm going to be more accountable just to prove them wrong. If it keeps us on a path of righteousness, Mm -hmm. it's a blessing.
0: When we were talking about that last week, I think I even asked you like, you know, Sometimes I wonder in 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 many things that that we experience in life like God I want to stay in a seat where I don't require your explanation. Yeah. Yeah. But I still want it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I,
0: I might not require it, but I still want to know I, I want I want it to be crystal clear what you're trying to accomplish and and whatever that suffering looks like and 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 for anyone listening or or, or watching this, suffering you know job even job's wife turned against him yeah. in this and so suffering on on a real life level should make us reflect. What's going on? Yeah. What's happening here? I'm in turmoil. What is it? Where is my peace and why don't I have it? And then go, okay, I am I am square with God. So I have to keep walking in this line of obedience with God, not requiring the answer for it, but always watching for it. Because I do believe He wants us to know. Like He We're not going to give away the end of it. But God doesn't just leave Job. Yeah, with with a cliffhanger. Um, so whether we are suffering in relationships, with uh, with our health, with loss, calamity, whatever that looks like, we have to stay in the seat of not talking about God and what God is doing, yeah. or what we think we see God doing. I have certainly been very guilty of that. What you know, looking at circumstances and going thinking I know God, right? Right. Yeah. Thinking I know the ways of God because I've read the whole Bible, right? right. I know everything. <laughs> I'm I'm being sarcastic. But 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 we do this and we don't realize we're doing it. We'll say, well Maybe God is trying to do this, or maybe God is trying to do that, and we're taking the position of the friends. We're just saying it in a nicer way. Yeah. We're putting it in God's name instead of making it our opinion. But the truth is, it's really just our opinion. Um, and Job even did it. He's still, even in this, in this accusation about God, Job is still not talking to God. He's talking about God. And here he turns to actually calling God the accuser, which we know because we've seen behind the curtain in this story yeah. that Satan is the accuser he is the originator of all of this and really who looks because it is Satan as the as the accuser here the friends look foolish and Job looks foolish because they're all being played yeah. and and in the end the one who's being highlighted is God. And if we can sit in that seat in our life and go, you know what? The accuser is still raging against yeah. the offspring. I am the offspring of the remnant. I'm not going to look like a fool. I'm going to glorify God and I'm not going to let the accuser in whatever way that suffering comes to me derail me. Yes. We will glorify God. In whatever, uh, you know, whatever season or whatever circumstance of suffering we find ourselves in. That's good. Okay, so even in this we want to note, we, we've we've gotten the vibe that Job is talking about God and not to God. We do that. We talk about what God is doing instead of talking to God yeah. about what he is doing. Um, and, and sometimes that's because we want to sit in a seat where we don't require the answer. But most of the time, it's because we are trying to just push our opinion out there. Yeah. I have been guilty of it. I know everyone listening has been guilty of it. So why is Job doing that? Did, did, was this in a time where people couldn't talk to God? Was Job not able to talk to God? No. Um, Elihu reminds Job in chapter 35 verses nine to 11. He says, people cry out under a load of oppression, right? They plead for relief, uh, from the arm of the powerful, but no one says right when they're when they're full of blessings and they're full of joy, where is God my Maker, who gives songs in the night, who teaches us more than He teaches the beasts of the earth, and makes us wiser than the birds of the sky, so Elihu is pointing out to Job. God is not far from you. This suffering is calling you closer to him because you don't only reach out to God uh, when when you need relief from the strong arm. We also need to reach out to God when we recognize the beauty of his creation and that he pours into us more than anything else that he has created. So in the closing chapters of Job, We read the longest speech recorded from God in the whole Bible, and it's him addressing Job. He's answering him out of a storm, which is a lot like his presence um, in Exodus 19 at Mount Sinai that we've talked at length about here um, in both seasons of the podcast. So God prefaced this speech, though, by warning Job, and it's a warning for all of us. (laughs) He says, Job 38, verse 3, "'Brace yourself like a man.'" I will question you and you shall answer me. Because remember, up until this point, Job has talked about God and not to God. We don't want to find ourselves in a seat where God is having to come down to us in a storm to say, you've talked about me. You've not talked to me. Now you're going to talk to me. I'm going to ask you and you will answer. You will answer me. So Job here finally speaks to God and the only words that he is able to offer are repentance and what a beautiful picture of how simple this actually can be. God wants to come before us. He wants to speak to us intimately. He wants and welcomes our repentance. He shouldn't he, we do not um, let me try to think of the best, most humble way to put this. Who are we to make God? have to come to us to get our repentance from us. Here's what he says, Job 42, verses 1 to 6. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. And we talk a lot about that on the podcast as well. You asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now, and I will speak. I will question you, and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. So following this repentance, God reverses and restores everything that was taken from Job when satan accused him of being righteous and following god for mere blessings alone he restores his fortune he gives him 10 more children and he vindicates him in front of all of the friends who had condemned him and it's hard not to wonder how much of this might have been avoided if god had if job had only spoken to god sooner but i'm very grateful that we get the whole picture. We get from curtain to curtain with this, and we can find ourselves, if we're humble enough, in every seat and every character of the story, obviously except God's. But God still wants the same thing. He wants to accomplish the same thing in our lives through suffering as He did in the life of Job.
1: All right, so let's look now at a similar account, someone who is suffering intensely, Because again, what is our question this week? Is it okay to question God about the trials coming my way? Mm -hmm. A prophet suffering intensely, who also talks about God, but then talks to God yeah. rather than God having to come get the answer from him. Right. Yeah, right. So we're going to go to the book of Lamentations. And this is an account of a prophet's mourning over sin mm-hmm. and circumstances. So Lamentations was likely written by Jeremiah. This prophet was an eyewitness to the fall of Judah at the hand of Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. But it's not a prophecy, even though Jeremiah was a prophet. You can read his prophecy in the book of Jeremiah. Instead, Lamentations is a lament, a lament over Babylon's final siege of his homeland, of the nation of Judah. And this happened on the ninth day of Av in 586 BC. Just a side note here that's really interesting, Mm -hmm. how the Bible just lines up from testament to testament. The the second temple, Herod's temple Mm -hmm. in the New Testament, was also destroyed on the ninth day of Av, but this time in the year 70 AD and at the hand of the Romans. Right. so that's just just an interesting side note. So Lamentations here, this lament that Jeremiah pours out is not to be read like a narrative or a story, right. but it's five individual poems. And each one is a standalone poem, but they're connected around a central theme. Mm-hmm. And that theme is this devastating event, the fall of Judah. Right Now here's what's cool about Lamentations. This takes us on a grief journey. Often when someone is is deeply suffering in grief, mm-hmm. I've referred them to the book of Lamentations, but you can't see what it does on the surface because we're reading an English translation. Right? But the book actually presents these poems in acrostic form. Right. So chapter 1, In Lamentations has 22 verses. The first verse begins with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, which is Aleph. Mm -hmm. And then the remaining verses each begin with the next successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet, all the way to the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Tav. And then this pattern continues again in chapters 2 and 4. Remember, these are individual standalone mm-hmm, poems. And mm-hmm. so this acrostic 22-verse format in Hebrew is what we find in chapters 1, 2, and 4. But chapter 3... That one has 66 verses, and it's also an acrostic, but it's written in triplicate. Mm-hmm. So the first three verses begin with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, all the way down to the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet in the last three verses. And this is a format we see in a few other right. Bible chapters, a Hebrew literary device. We find it in um, Psalm 119, which is yes. the longest chapter in the entire Bible. It has 176 lines, and each set of eight verses begins with the next successive letter of the Hebrew right. alphabet. So, chapter five. We've talked about one, two, three, and four. Chapter five also has twenty-two verses, but it's not an acrostic. Here, Jeremiah breaks the pattern, mm-hmm. and instead, he turns and addresses God. Right, and he just starts pouring out his heart in prayer. And this is the outlier. This is it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and so this. Book is just an excellent walk for us through a grief journey when trials are just coming at us like waves and we're not sure what to do. Mm-hmm. Because he gives us Jeremiah, this Holy Spirit inspired model for how we can deal with grief in a godly way. Mm-hmm. Cause essentially, I think that's what's at the heart of this question. Yeah. I'm, I've got trials coming. Am I, can I question God about right. it? How do I process grief in a way that's going to honor God? Sure. And we saw an example from Job where he he got out of that line, right? Yeah. Where he starts accusing God of being unjust and is dealing with him, and that's not the way to do it. But what we can do is direct it toward God, and that's the beauty that we see in the book of Lamentations, because in the midst of immense pain—I mean, this is Jeremiah's homeland, his family, everyone he knows, his country—I yeah. mean, it would be like if here in America— yes. We were invaded and, and, and besieged away. Yeah. If we had, um, all of our provisions cut off, we were starving to death until ultimately an invading army came in and just started killing off everyone. Right. And just saving, um, the brightest and the best to go work for them. Right. In their homeland. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's what's happened in Judah. And Jeremiah deals with this in such an orderly way, Mm -hmm. in such an orderly way that he's writing an acrostic. Sure. And the first two chapters, we can look at them like an ascent in his grief journey up a mountain, right? So I want you just to try and picture what this looks like. You've got chapter one with a 22 verse acrostic. You've got chapter two with a 22 verse acrostic. And then you've got chapter three, where Jeremiah's outcry of grief essentially peaks And now we're at 66 verses, and the acrostic is written in triplicate. And really what this is showing us is the A to Z of the matter. So we see this also in Psalm 119. That's the longest chapter in the Bible, this acrostic format. It gives us the A to Z of a matter, and the matter there is the Bible. The longest chapter in the Bible talks about the Bible, Mm -hmm. and it gives us the fullness of the picture of the greatness of God's Word. So Jeremiah is dealing with grief in this orderly way, and he's pouring out his heart to God. And this is so good because sometimes when we are in immense pain, yeah, experiencing intense grief, there's nothing that anyone can do or say to fix it. right? I've sat in the seat before of just being in turmoil over something and having that feeling of, there's no one I can even talk to about this. Yeah. There's no one I can call who can give me the answer. And I believe the moment that thought crosses our minds, we need to go. Oh, yes, there is. Right. That is God, possibly just bringing us to that place for no other reason than because He wants us to remember where He is. Right. He doesn't want us acting like Job, thinking that He's nowhere to be found. Mm-hmm. And so Jeremiah sets the example for us of bringing God the fullness of our despair. Yeah. Um. And as he brings it, he recognizes the source here, and in Jeremiah's case, the source is sin. Sure. In Job's case, he was a righteous man, and he was suffering because of an accusation that Satan brought against him, and God gives him the opportunity to vindicate him, right? and he does. In Jeremiah's case, it is because of sin. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important to note that even when that is the cause of suffering, we still can bring it to God. Yes. He still expects us to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, he, his whole nation fell because of centuries of unrepentant sin. Mm-hmm. And Jeremiah was a prophet decrying the sin and warning of what was going right. to come and people wouldn't listen. And we can certainly relate to this kind of grief because we live in a sinful, broken world. Mm-hmm. And and it produces grief, and often that grief affects us. Here's what Lamentations one fourteen says, My sins have been bound into a yoke. Mm-hmm. By His hands they were woven together. They have been hung on my neck, and the Lord sapped my strength. He has given me into the hands of those I cannot withstand. Mm. See, when we bring our grief to God in prayer, though, He's able to give us a supernatural strength and even healing to carry us through this. Right. For many years, I did not understand the true meaning of the passage or the the phrase, peace that passes understanding. Right. And it was honestly through a miscarriage that I first understood what that meant. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I've got seven kids, you've got four kids. Miscarriage mm-hmm. was always a possibility and a yeah. fear. And it was a big fear for me. I thought, man, if, if I ever happen, had that happen, right. I just wouldn't be able to bear it. And then when I did... It was so strange to me mm-hmm. because I thought I should have been destroyed, and I wasn't. Right, and the only explanation was this is what God means by peace that passes understanding. I can echo that. I've experienced something
0: in 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 my walk with God that, in the moment, fully, I fully, I had to go back and really rehash with God mm-hmm. my response to what I was experiencing because my response was and I don't say this for self glorification but really my response to what I thought was the worst thing that I could ever experience yeah. was you've you must have a plan you must have something and and you've got you've got it and so when what I thought was unfolding wasn't actually the circumstance praise god I had to really sit numb with God for a minute and go I was really ready to do that with you. I'm so glad that's not what you wanted to do. Yeah. But I I wonder if you were testing my
1: response. What's the words of Job? That's how he was tested. And mm-hmm. his initial response was, the Lord gives and the Lord takes mm-hmm. away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Oh, yeah. Man, here's how Jesus says it. Matthew 11, 28 through 30, Come to me, mm-hmm. all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for yes. I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's an invitation. It is. And I just want to mention your the book, Step Into Scripture, right
0: here. This, this invitation from Jesus is take my yoke and learn from me. I am gentle. I am humble in heart. We are never going to respond to suffering like this, willing to ascend through it, willing to go disciplined through it like this prophet did, unless we know the truth about God and the truth about Jesus. Without that, we are going to absolutely fall apart. We'll talk about God. We'll maybe curse God. And we're, we'll never come to him if we don't really know who he is. And so if you haven't picked up that resource, I encourage you to do that sooner than later. Make the commitment, open-ended, to read it from start to finish for nothing else but to make sure you know if
1: this is true or not, to know what to do when suffering comes your yeah. way. for sure. So. After these first two chapters in this, these two acrostic poems in the book of Lamentations, the author peaks in chapter three. Like we said, he's, he's on yeah. a grief journey here. He's essentially climbing the grief mountain. And at the height of it in chapter three, verse 18, he says, So I say, my splendor is gone, all that I had hoped from the Lord. And mm. that. That shows us the depth of his misery. That's a seat that many of us may have been sitting in before, where we were utterly hopeless. And the incredible thing about the book of Lamentations is that Jeremiah shows us that it's okay to sit in those feelings sometimes, just to sit with the grief and the hopelessness. You said you had to just sit numb Mm -hmm. after this particular experience and just say, that's where I'm at. That's yeah. what I was ready to accept. Mm-hmm. Jeremiah shows us that when he has lost everything and experienced horrors sure. that I pray we never even have Absolutely. to dream about, Absolutely, he could just sit in the grief. And that is something we Christians need to know, because here's a bad habit we have. Mm -hmm. We often try to shortcut grief. We want people to just hurry up and get over it, Mm -hmm. and and usually with good intention, right? Yeah. Because we are children of God, so we feel the need to be joyful uh, no matter what, because that's how we express that we trust in God. And sometimes, although this is is well-intended, it can lead to our faking it rather than doing the Mm -hmm. hard work Of moving through grief with the Lord's help, approaching him about it Mm -hmm. and dealing with it in a way that's honoring to him. And so in the book of Lamentations, we see Jeremiah ascending the height of grief and then setting an example of what to do when we're just hopeless, when we're just done. Right. Totally done. Listen to Lamentations 3, 21 to 26. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Mm -hmm. Now Three verses earlier, Mm -hmm. he said, "'My splendor is gone, all that I had hoped from the Lord. Mm -hmm. "'He is totally hopeless.'" And then he goes, "'Yet I call this to mind, and therefore I have hope.'" Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for Him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in Him, to the one who seeks Him, and it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Hmm. So while we can sit in the grief, we can feel the depth of the hopelessness sometimes, what we can't do is settle down and live there. Yeah, for sure. And how do we keep moving, right? Mm-hmm. Because this is a grief journey, this book of Lamentations. We are moving through the grief, not living in the grief. So I want you to notice Jeremiah's actions that we just read. He called to mind, yet yeah. I called this to mind. And then I said to myself, these are acts of the will. Mm-hmm. So when we're on this grief journey and we're totally despairing, at some point— We have to stop allowing our emotions to rule unchecked. Right. And it doesn't mean we have to rush through it. Yeah. Or act like it didn't happen. That's right. We don't have to deny it. But at some point, we have to take willful steps to move forward. And the only way we can do that is just like he just did. And just like you just Mm -hmm. said, by harnessing the power of what we know about God and his good nature. Yeah, absolutely. Without that, what in the world's going to power our steps? What's going to take us to the next place? Mm Mm-hmm. So Jeremiah's renewed Mm. mindset here at the end of chapter three, as he has reached the peak in this grief journey, it didn't mean the grief had ended. Yeah. Right. He descended from the mountain of grief through chapter four. And, and that's a terrible chapter. You can go back and read it for yourself, but he speaks of absolute horrors right. that he has experienced with the fall of his nation. Infants and children were starving. The people were emaciated because Babylon had besieged the city. They had cut them off from all their supplies. Um, the people were so starved, they were unrecognizable. Right. And probably one of the hardest things we read here is women were cannibalizing their right children. I mean, that's the depths of despair mm-hmm. that he has witnessed and walked through here. and after he laments that appalling condition of the people, then he just cries out to God and he remembers God's faithfulness. Mm-hmm. In order for us to do this, we've got to know God's word. yeah, we've got to know God's character. And then as we see in Lamentations, we can call these truths to mind. We can say them to ourselves, and then we can claim them to God in prayer. And that's huge. Lamentations five one. remember, Lord, what has happened to us. Look at us and see our disgrace. See, God had made a promise to Israel, Mm -hmm. and and Jeremiah knew that. And so he can tell God, but remember what you said. And so can we question God about the trials we're going through? We we can, and we can remind Him of His character. Mm -hmm. Now, if we've brought the trials and the suffering on ourselves through sins like the nation of Judah had done here— we got to repent of that, mm-hmm. even if we've just misspoken, like we saw right. with Job. I mean, all, Job maintained innocence through this whole mm-hmm. thing. This was nothing but him vindicating God before Satan. And yet he goes, I repent in dust and ashes and I hate myself. Right. <laughs> I mean, that was the, the level of humility here. Grief can be totally overwhelming to us, and we are kidding ourselves. If we think that we can just push through it, Mm -hmm. if we can gloss over it and Mm -hmm. not deal with it. But here's what I want you to see about the book of Lamentations as we come to the end of it in chapter five, is that through the whole thing, God doesn't speak. Right In Job, God speaks at the end after he's been talked about. For dozens of chapters, right? And he goes, You know what? I'm going to say something now, and you're going to answer me. But because Jeremiah knew truths about God that he could recall to mind, redirect his energy in prayer, God doesn't say a word. And I think God's silence here communicates a powerful truth to us. Yeah. And that truth is the answer to this question He's willing to listen. Yeah. He records our prayers. Mm-hmm. This grief journey. Jeremiah bringing this to him is written down for us in the canonized, Holy Mm -hmm. Spirit-inspired scriptures so that we have an example of it. And the example is that God welcomes us to bring our grief to him and to use our intimate knowledge of who he is and his character Mm -hmm. to walk that through in a godly way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you know when when we're walking on a, a grief journey, whether we're in it right now or maybe this isn't applicable in this season of your life, uh, it certainly will will be welcomed when the next season of suffering yeah. comes around. And and you know if you're a parent, you can think of your children. I have four children. You have seven children. I work with the student ministry here at Ecclesia, so I got lots of children. Um, and when one of them are hurting or in deep distress. We welcome that. We want that. Uh, We've said this for many years, raising kids in the same... I mean, we were pregnant perpetually together for many years. Yeah. Um, But we want their heart. We want them to trust us, whether it's because they're hurting, or they're in distress, or they've made a mistake. We want to be the safe landing spot because we we want to help them. We want to carry it for them. And God is the same way. Two different accounts that we've walked through today a lot of scripture, a lot of truth about God, but the same things displayed about God. He is listening, he is willing, he is waiting. And something I wanted to point out, when Job uh, repented or when Israel repented, when we repent, yeah. God, the God of justice, relents. Yeah, And so if suffering I I will speak to my own experience. I have experienced suffering, let's say it's in marriage or in relationships in general. If you're experiencing suffering because of sin, to to repent of sin can be so intimidating because it requires honesty and transparency and a lot of humility. But what I know is the moment you do it, the relief that comes from it to be back square with God yeah. is worth it. The longer we let the anxiety build up around it, the grief and the suffering just compounds and it pushes us further away from God. But God is a God of justice. He relents when sin has been repented yeah. of. And so if that's uh, you know a season that anyone is sitting in, maybe that's the encouragement you need. Um, it is worth it. Tell the truth, be honest, be humble, be transparent, and move on. Because that's what God wants. He is willing and waiting and and just ready, like on the edge of his seat, waiting on that. So I encourage you to do that. But again, not only is God listening, but he acts in response. He responds to our request. In the Genesis 18 account of Abraham, um, we see him intercede on behalf of the city of Sodom. And we find that God can even change his mind because we brought a request to him. So here's how the Hebrew writer says it in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 to 16. For we do not have a high priest who is unable uh, to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us approach then God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may have, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. That could be the whole answer to this yeah. question. Is it okay for me to question God about the the grief or the suffering that comes my way? Absolutely. He is there ready to give us mercy, to give us grace in order to help us in our time of need because he can empathize with our weakness? He has been tempted in every single way, yet he is blameless, lived a perfect life, and overcame death because of it. In Job chapter nine, like we talked about in the very beginning, Job cries out in this, uh, in his version of a lament. In chapter nine, verse 32 to 33, he says, he is not a mere mortal talking about God like me that I may I might answer him that we might confront each other in court. He's saying I can't just take God to court and let the courts sort it out. He says if only there were someone to mediate between us, someone to bring us together. Tina in your book, step into scripture, the the foundation of all of this podcast every conversation we have, you go through and you have taken the time and crafted together all of these shadows, all of these signposts, all of these things, these sounds that point us towards Jesus as our mediator. And this is an example. Job is crying out for the one to come, the promised one who would be the truth, the way, and the life that would reconcile humanity to God, the one who can overcome death. Because why? He is our high priest who can empathize with our weakness because he has been tempted and tested in every way, and he was blameless. He's overcome death, and he mediates between us and God. Now, even though Satan stands uh, raging war against the offspring— We all know what will come of what has come of that and what has happened. And so uh, I'll say this one more time. If you haven't picked up your resource, step into scripture, you can do that. Pick it up on Amazon. It's published by renewed.org. We highly encourage you to get it, make that open ended commitment. And next week, we're going to pick up that conversation about the accuser and we're going to talk through what has happened, what will happen. We'll talk about that next week. So until then, we hope that you are stepping through scripture and we will see you next week. Bye.